Welcome to Beyond the Benchmark, EFG's weekly podcast. My name is Joaquin Tull. I'm an economist at EFG Asset Management here in London. And this week, I'm going to be replacing Moss as your host for this episode. I also have the pleasure uh, of being joined this week by Julio de Brum. For those that don't know him, Julio is an economist at uh, Betka uh, Advisors, which uh, is a financial advisory firm based in Uruguay. Uh, and he has vast experience in, in this industry. So previously, he worked in the public sector, where he was the governor of the Central Bank of Uruguay between 2002 and 2005. And during this time at the Central Bank, uh, Julio was in charge of setting monetary policy in Uruguay during the peak of the economic crisis in, in Latin America. And also, he was a key participant in the design and the implementation of Uruguay's uh, sovereign debt exchange in 2003. He also has experience in academics, publishing a number of papers on topics such as monetary policy, economic growth, and the links of all of this with financial markets in Latin America. In addition to this, he's a professor at one of the top universities in Uruguay, and he was actually my professor of monetary policy at university. So it is an honor to have him here with me. Julio, welcome, and thank you for your time. Please tell me if I have missed anything on, on your profile. Wow, excellent, Joaquin. Uh, thank, uh, thank you for this invitation. It's a pleasure to, to meet uh, my previous students in, in, in their career. So, uh, well, let's do it. Perfect. Great. So maybe let's uh, let's start with um, with a short recap of, of your time at the Central Bank in Uruguay and, and your involvement in, in that sovereign debt exchange at the time. Um, for those that don't remember, um, the um, the region was going through a, through a deep crisis. Um, Argentina had recently defaulted in 2001. And uh, even in, in that case, the IMF was quite reluctant to lend money to Uruguay. So uh, in the end, private investors did participate in that debt exchange. Can you Tell us a little bit of how it was to be part of those uh, negotiations at the time. And very briefly, shocking. <laughs> that was the, <laughs> the, the the description of that experience in which basically we have to combine the, the, the usual uh, topics of central bankers like monetary policy, um, financial stability, in a situation in which we had a, a run on banks, uh, many failed banks given the, the size of the Uruguayan financial systems, the adoption of a new monetary regime with the inflation jumping to around 60% a year in, in, in one quarter, uh, obviously in annualized terms. And we had to deal with the, with the restructure of the, of the public debt uh, with the usual combination that you have in such times in which you have uh, a, a capital accounts run a, a balance of payment crisis, a currency crisis, and financial system crisis, and a public sector crisis. So all, all of them together. Uh, well, we, we we dealt with all of that. Fortunately, with the with with the, with the support of the international community. And there was an experiment, uh, both in the adoption of a new monetary regime, uh, moving from pegged exchange rate to, to, to the adoption of monetary aggregates and a restructure of the public debt that with the discussion that the, the, the international community had at that time 
was an innovative procedure. So this was really a, an amazing experience on that. I can imagine. Yes, must have been very stressful times. Um, but then we, if we if we move fast forward to to where we are right now, we are we're now coming out from a, a completely different crisis that was not regional, was more global. Um, the world is trying to to cope with, uh, let's say, the the, the, the risks that, that came out after that. Um, and we are in a situation where countries are still coming out from the pandemic. We have a shortage of of workers, shortage of goods in some cases, geopolitical conflicts in, in the eastern uh, side of Europe, which is impacting food and energy prices. Um, how do you see the current economic situation? How, how do you, what are the, the, the key risks that you, that you see there and, and what's your assessment? As you said, uh, we have the pandemia and, and its echoes in terms of new varieties, lockdowns and, and so on. We have the war and on top of that, now we have inflation that is a really new phenomena uh, for for many central banks in, in industrialized world uh, with, with figures that we not have seen during the last 30 years or, or, or so. So the, I think that the main issue for many investors nowadays is how to cope with this situation in which uh, the valuation are, are affected by the combination of rising, uh, rising prices and a change in the monetary policy that we that we have during many years of very low interest interest rate. So I think that one of the main problems that we have today is that many people have some issues addressing how to do valuations in which both the numerator and the denominator of the of the cash flows are changing due to inflation and changes in monetary policy and what factor will predominate at the end. Uh, and so we can say if the valuations today are correct or are undervalued or are still room for further uh, downturns in the in the in the stock market. That that is the main uncertainty that people have today. Uh, well, that's that's our role in in that situation. How how to how to interpret the data, the monetary policy decisions, and so on. Um, I think that uh, in the in the next couple of years we will uh, we will test two uh, two two issues that we have adopted for for sure and uh, that that may be challenged uh, in the current situation. One is uh, the, the independence of the central bank, the actual independence of the central banks from the, from the fiscal policy, from governments, and, and from politics in general. Um, we, uh, we have a, a new phenomenon here in which uh, due in part to the pandemia, but also from um, uh, some trends that we have been seeing during the last decade in terms of aging population and so on, we have a, a path for, for public expenses which is not compatible in the long term with debt sustainability. 
if we perform a debt sustainability analysis for many of industrial countries, we see in most of them the same picture. We see upward trends in the in the rate in the ratio of debt to GDP, with very few exceptions. Probably Germany is is the one the most notable one, but United States, uh, many countries of Europe like Italy, Spain, Portugal, even France, even Britain. Uh, uh, in the case of Asia, Japan, Australia is one of the, the countries in which you may see a, a downward trend in the future for, for the, the, the debt to GDP. But there are very few exceptions uh, in the industrialized world in which you see uh, uh, a situation in which public finance are sustainable in the, in the, in the long term. And we don't see at the same time a political will to make fiscal adjustment to that. We, we don't see any government nowadays raising taxes or reducing uh, public expenditure. So inflation is at the end of, of the day, the way in which the, the public de debt can become sustainable in the long term in the, ab in the absence of, of fiscal measures. So, how, uh, there is a conflict there on uh, how uh, how long the, the central banks can go in the process of uh, introducing uh, a, a tightening monetary uh, tightening monetary policy, raising interest rates, but at the same time increasing the costs of public debts and uh, introducing the risk of making that public debt unsustainable. That is a conflict in which we will see in the next couple of, of years uh, how independent are the central banks to address the inflation the, the inflation issue without uh, jeopardizing the, the sustainability of, of public debt. The other issue related with this is the level of the natural interest rate. We, we have taken for sure that the, the natural interest rate has dropped very significantly during the last couple of decades. And we were, we were basically used to uh, a nominal interest rate of around 2% that, that will suffice to, uh, to make the inflation stable and with, with, a, with a real growth rates of around 2% or, or something in the, in the industrialized world. But that level of interest rates may be not compatible with stable inflation in the long run if the natural interest rate is not as low as many market participants and many academics has come to, to believe in the, in, in the last couple of, in the last couple of years. Uh, so, if the equilibrium interest rate goes to someone higher than we are expecting today, that will also be a shock on, on public expectation and on the valuations of, of, of securities, uh, both uh, fixes or, 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 or variable. So, that are, I think that those are the, the big question, questions that we have today on the table. 
And uh, the answer to that will basically uh, define the, the macroeconomic world of the next decade. That's interesting. Yeah, so it, we are we have seen um, central banks in in the emerging world to to start hiking rates uh, much quicker and 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 quite early um, from from last year. Maybe we, we are used to to see in some some of these moves in in emerging markets, but not of that magnitude in in developed markets. And now, uh, at the moment in the U.S., for example, markets are pricing uh, between four, five, or even six more interest rate hikes um, for, for the Fed to actually uh, control inflation. How, f how far do you think the, the Fed will need to go before inflation uh, converges back to that 2% um, that target? Is it, um, are they, are they, um, is it this already priced in into the market? Uh, have we already seen the, the, the impact of all, of all of this tightening in monetary policy? Or, or is it still more, more to go? The, the market consensus is that uh, the interest rate, uh, the, Fed, the Fed funds will 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 be raised to a level of something around three percent or, or a little bit lower, and that may be consistent with a rise in the, for example, the, the ten-year rate to something also around three percent, which then will begin to 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 be reduced uh, gradually, and that will be enough to drop down the, the inflation to something around 2.5% in a year or, or two. Uh, my perception or my estimates is that uh, that will not be enough, but uh, I have to say that I am completely out of the, out of the consensus on, on, on that situation. I think that uh, the, the Federal Reserve will see, will, will continue on this gradual path of increasing rates, but sooner, sooner or later they will realize that uh, it, it, will not, it will not be enough to raise interest rate to just 3% to uh, have the inflation going down to the target of 2%. To, to achieve that, the, I think that the Federal Reserve will need to continue raising interest rates in a gradual process to something probably around 4% in the, in the near future. With the current stance of monetary policy, I see inflation around 4 or 5% during the next year, in 2023, uh, and to achieve at the target of to 2.5% in the in the long term, the, the interest rate should go higher. Um, in a, in a benign, benign scenario, a gradual pass of increasing interest rate will be enough to, to have that situation. And we, we do not need to go to the Volcker area in, in, uh, in, in which interest rate had to jump above the inflation to later come down, uh, which would be a much more aggressive uh, stance of, for monetary policy. Uh, so is, if that scenario of gradual interest rate is enough, well, we can see interest rates going up to something around 4% in the, in the medium term, and, and then stabilize in that level for, for longer, 
and helping the, the inflation to to go to go down to 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 two point five percent. That process in which we'll have higher inflation for longer and gradually going down will also help public finance. So that the scenario is also consistent to give more time to the public sector in very in, in different countries to adjust to the their the, the accounts to a to a debt sustainability process. Um, so that is my scenario, which is uh, more uh, in which we have higher interest rate that we are priced today in the market, but in which also the valuation at the uh, at the equity markets are 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 good enough, are, are fair enough. Uh, given traditional valuations with uh, a long-term value for the 10 years interest rate of around 4, 4.5%. I think that price earnings of around 20 are, are consistent with that. Uh, so I think that the equity market is today better positioned to, to that scenario than the, uh, that the things that, that, than, than fixed income. So you think that currently the recent um, sell-off in, in, in equity markets and, uh, and particularly the underperformance of some of these growth equities, which had had such a good performance over the last few years, it's a bit of an overreaction then to given the current situation of the, of the, of the U.S. economy where the housing market looks all right. But you know, we've seen some issues with maybe affordability recently and, of course, the, the, the increase in some of the mortgage rates. Um, but the job market is still very tight. Consumer um, continues to be strong in a strong position. And, and one of the indicators for, for recessions in, in the US, which is normally the, the, the 10 year minus three months, let's say, uh, rates is, is still quite steep. So it, it, there's no much of an indication that this would be conducive to a, to a recession. Like why, um, why then have markets overreacted? What's, what's your view on that? Yes, I, I think that I, I don't see uh, signs of res recession either. Um, uh, I, I basically, my, my feeling is that basically the, the investors are adjusting their views to uh, not only the risk of inflation, but only the risk of a strong contraction in the economy due to due to the tighter monetary policy. But uh, what we, we have to take into account is that with the current stance of monetary policy, credit is still growing in the banking system and interest rates in, in real terms are low enough to still uh, promote demand for credit, demand for consumption, demand for investment in the US economy and also in Europe. So I don't see a, a demand drive recession scenario, not for Europe, not for United States. You may have a supply side driven shock that may affect the, 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 the GDP in the transitory or temporary, like, like, the, like we saw in the first quarter of this year in, in the United States, in which 
uh, you uh, you saw uh, you saw a, a contraction in, in in real GDP, but with that expansion in domestic consumption consumption and and, and private investments. So that is typically the situation related with the pandemic. You have supply shocks that may induce a recession and, and temporary contraction in activity, but not a situation of demand-driven uh, recession where you have when you have low investment or, or low consumption. That 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 type of uh, recession is not present today, and is the type of a recession that you can manage through monetary policy. Uh, when you have supply shocks, the monetary policy can do very little on that. On that. Uh, so uh, given this situation, given the current situation in which demand is continually uh, growing, uh, my scenario is that inflation is not going down very quickly. Just because that, because demand is still growing very, very strongly, uh, but but also the, the 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 benefits, the profits of the of the companies are not so affected as they would be in the case of a demand-driven uh, recession, in which typically the the companies face lower demand and they have to lower the prices they, they have a contraction in their in their profits and affect and really affect negatively uh, their valuation so uh, so returning to, to the beginning uh, I, I i think that given that path of gradually increasing interest rates you will have higher inflation for longer but you may uh, avoid a recession in the industrialized world. Industrialized world, so uh, the company valuations may be considered fair in that in that scenario. Good, good, good. And then, if we move into some of the in, into some of the other developed economies, maybe we look into Europe and and um, and the UK. Um, uh, central banks there have already. Or at least in the, in the UK, they started uh, hiking interest rate very gradually. Uh, they 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 have a, a phrase here that is uh, as boring as uh, as watching paint dry, um, because it's just exceptionally slow. Uh, and the ECB is probably planning a, a similar uh, a similar way of policy. They just announced today that they're going to hike twenty five basis points next month, and then maybe in the following month they might do something more. So. Um, are they too slow? Are they too late to the party? Are they? Uh, is this enough to to control inflation and to, um, or are they just too fearful of of uh, inducing a, a slowdown in, in in the economy, given how weak uh, growth has been in in some of these economies? In the case of Uruguay, in the case of Europe, uh, you have the you have to consider the the, the issue of the war. Uh, and the energy prices shock that that will be recessionary for Europe, and, uh, and, I, and I think it's reasonable that both central banks, the European Central Bank and, and, the, and, the, and the, the Bank of England, uh, may be more cautious in the in the, the management of of monetary policy, trying to address 
to address the fiscal needs that uh, Europe and United Kingdom will have uh, in the face of war and in the face of reconstruction uh, Europe from the from the pandemic crisis. The the debt situation in many parts of Europe, in which in Europe in which the the, the debt is definitely not sustainable in the in the long run and in the scenario of a very tight monetary policy like countries like Italy, Spain, Greece, you, you still have the debt problems there. So I think that in the case of the, the, the European Central Bank, it will be a combination of gradually increasing interest rates, hoping that that will uh, keep inflation under control, uh, but not uh, introducing uh, an unsustainable cost in the public debt to many of the partners in the European in the, in the European Union. Uh, to manage that, it's, it's, it is really crucial what happened with the other uh, balance sheet, which is the balance sheet of the uh, of the aggregate banking system. We will usually take a look at the balance sheet of the central bank, the Federal Reserve, the Central Bank of Uruguay, but we also must take into account what is happening with the other balance sheet, which is the balance sheet of the of the banking system. As long as the banking system uh, use direct the excess reserves in a prudent, in a prudent manner, uh, increasing credit in a way that is consistent with the with economic growth, uh, that may help the the central banks to achieve a gradually reduce uh, a gradually uh, uh, downturn in inflation uh, without pushing uh, very uh, very tight monetary conditions in the in the economy for instance what's happening in america uh, the federal reserve is in fact is constructing its balance sheet the, the monetary base is lower today than, than one year ago but the banking system is compensating that with increase of credit so Monetary aggregates are growing at a rate of five to six percent, which is consistently, which is consistent basically with an inflation of four to five percent during the next uh, year. In the case of Europe, the monetary aggregate, like M three, is growing at six percent during the last uh, twelve months, which is also consistent with an inflation of maybe around 5% during the next uh, 12 months. That is higher than the 2.5% expected by the, the European Central Bank, but in any case, it's lower than the inflation that we have today. So I think that as long as people say uh, see that the inflation is going down, not as fast as expected, but gradually going in the in the in the correct direction that may not affect uh, uh, the, the, the the credibility of the central banks in a way that uh, expectations uh, 
make uh, are, are this the anchor from the the, the, the long-term target of, of inflation. If you remember last year, the, the problem of the European Central Bank was how to disanchor the expectation of an, an inflation near zero or, or even the, the deflation risk. Now, we, we they, they have the exactly the opposite situation. They have to convince the people to anchor the expectations uh, on around 2% from, from the long term. But I think that they will not achieve that target very quickly if they do they will not if they do not want to to to, to induce a contraction or a recession in the in the economy. Right. So that is a part of, of the art in the in the in the in the current state of situation, how to manage that uh, uh, that normalization of monetary policy without putting the economy into a recession. Exactly. That's the part of the management expectations that is, is, is less of a science, let's say. It's more... Uh, of course, that yeah. is much more art than science. <laughs> um, and so let's, let's, turn, let's turn towards our neighborhood. Let's turn to Latin America and let's see um, what, what do you think would be the, the impact of, of this normalization in, in Fed policy rates for, for Latin American clients? I mean, this is... Um, we've seen recently uh, a combination of, of uh, you know, the Fed tightening interest rates, um, the the boom in commodity prices, which has affected, uh, which has improved in the terms of trades for some of the commodity exporting economies in, in LATAM. Um, and this has generated a, an appreciation of, of the domestic currencies. Uh, maybe, you know, Brazil is, a, is, a, is the perfect example of that. Um, can we expect this to, to continue? What, what are the other effects that this tightening of, of financial conditions in the developed world could have uh, in, in Latin America? Uh, Latin America is in the eye of the storm right now. And you know that when you are in the eye of the storm, look, uh, things look quite, uh, very quiet. Uh, even there is also, you see sun in the, during the, in the eye of the storm. Uh, the problem is that the storm is moving, so we are we will not be in the eye for 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 very long. So what we have today is a window of opportunity, because we we see uh, commodity prices rising. We still have very low interest rates. Uh, in the case of emerging countries in general and Latin American countries in particular, uh, you have this split between the external financial conditions and the domestic financial conditions. And to some extent, the central banks can uh, deal with inflation, tightening domestic, domestic financial condition uh, letting the public sector at the same at the same time to, uh, to to obtain financing at international low interest rates. Uh, the usual problem with that is you may have uh, capital inflows that may may uh, may may make disruptions on, on that on that process. But the pandemic first and these turbulence in in. In, in equity markets during the last uh, few months 
Has Help de, de Latin American Economies to, eh, to some extent to, to separate the domestic financial conditions and the financial conditions that the government eh, face abroad. So the government can, have, can finance themselves at, uh, at, at low interest rates abroad and at the same time the central bank can, uh, can increase domestic interest rates trying to uh, keep inflation under control uh, uh, under, under this under, under the current shock. Brazil was the first to, to know that uh, and was the, 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 the first Latin American country to begin raising interest rate very early in 2021. And then they were, they were, they were followed by Chile, Colombia, Peru, even Uruguay. Uh, during the the, the 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 course of of last of last year, so we have good prices, low interest rates, conditions to grow, and the central banks has made some part of the effort needed to keep inflation under control. Uh, not necessarily uh, dropping the, the inflation yet, but. Uh, uh, putting the, on the floor the, the conditions to, to do that. Uh, the problem is that the next step uh, will be the appreciation of their currencies. That is unavoidable in the, in the current situation uh, with very high, with, with very tight monetary policies in these, in these countries. The, it's, it's natural to, 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 to see the real, the, the, the Chilean peso and other uh, Latin American countries in a process of, of appreciation with respect to the dollar, with a dollar which is also strong on international uh, with, with, their, with, their, with, other, with other parties in the, in, the, in the industrialized world. That situation in which uh, interest rates are going higher and the dollar is going stronger is very cold water for Latin American countries. Already, uh, it's a very tough situation for uh, Latin American countries. Rising interest rates and a strong dollar is a situation in which traditionally Latin American countries did not perform well. Uh, so, beyond one year or so, uh, this window opportunities, this window opportunity that, that we have today may, uh, I, don't, I don't know if will disappear, but uh, these countries will face much more tough conditions that we face now. So this is the time to uh, extend maturities for public debt, uh, introduce adjustment in fiscal policy, to be not so dependent to capital flows uh, on 2023 or 2024, and, uh, and take advantage of this uh, improvement in terms of trade to, uh, to promote investment and have a better condition for growth in the, in the future. Because I think that uh, in a year or so, Will will be we we will face more difficult conditions that we are facing today. And in this, um, let's say, preparing the, the the scenario for this, do you think the that some of the countries that you that you mentioned, you mentioned Colombia, Brazil, Chile, Peru, 
you think these countries have have done their homework? Are, are they better prepared now to cope with higher inflation than they were, say, say you know, 10, 20 years ago? Because we used to see uh, maybe uh, inflation rates in, in Latin America used to be comparable to what we're seeing, seeing now. Double-digit inflation was normal. Um, the, 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 the levels of, um, of exchange rate de depreciation used to be uh, quite quite different. The monetary regimes used to be different. Um, we used to have a fashion of having peg currencies during the 90s. Um, are we now, have we learned from that experience and are, are, are these countries now better prepared to cope with, with, with higher inflation and, and, and with some of these external conditions? Many Latin American countries have made uh, strong structural reforms to, to cope with that. Uh, the problem is that, you know, there are uh, some new populist governments that are not true believers of the of of those structural reforms so the main challenge for many latin american countries nowadays is to address a lot of uh, social social requirements or, or social issues without changing the essence of the structural reforms that with, with a lot of effort, these countries uh, made during the last couple of decades. So that is the main challenge that, that many Latin American countries have today, and it's certainly the case of Brazil, Chile, Peru, and Colombia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and does um, monetary policy work in, in, in the same way in, in, in countries uh, that are uh, maybe more dollarize i'm thinking maybe in the case of of argentina i'm thinking in the case of uruguay um countries that that don't have um domestic savings in in the in the local currency uh, the transmission mechanism monetary policy work in the same way no no not not necessarily uh, in fact the price stability is much more reliant on uh, fiscal stability because of that dependence on capital outflows to, to finance the, the public sector. Uh, so the, the main transmission channel for monetary policy in all, in all of these countries is usually the exchange rate. So when you have inconsistencies, inconsistencies between the monetary policy and the fiscal policy, you have problems of exchange rate appreciation that in the medium term, uh, damage growth, and they also may trigger other sort of crisis in in this country. So uh, that is why it's very important for these uh, countries to keep uh, public finance under control, uh, taking advantage of this situation in which you still can put extend maturities at low interest uh, rates and at the same time uh, taking advantage of of the of the external price shock to uh, to improve the situation of the, the of the public sector to to make the the, the the public finance consistent in the long term or sustainable in the long term, in the long term. so in terms of uh, 
assets in, in Latin America, we should be a bit concerned or we should probably, uh, this recent appreciation or this recent boom, let's say in, in, in Latin American equities that we had over the last maybe four or five, five months, um, has been more of a result of what's happening in the rest of the world and not that much of, uh, of, of domestic conditions then. No, certainly not. Uh, there has been a lot of correlation in the in the Latin American markets with, its, with what is happening in the in the international markets, especially in the United States. Uh, there's a big there's a big if uh, in what will happen with China uh, if China resumes growth. Uh, due to a better policy uh, against uh, the coronavirus and stimulus uh, stimulus from from the public uh, fiscal policy and monetary policy that may help latin american countries to deal better with uh, with, with with tougher financial condition uh, during the next couple of years if china is resuming growth so that's the big if uh, that may help latin american countries to, to navigate this this war in the in the in the near in the near future right and lastly let me just bring you back um to one of your your, your points you made earlier um which comes to to central bank uh, independence um do you think that this whole um experience during during uh, the covid pandemic um makes the case or for less independence of central banks uh have we seen that central banks acted as a let's say purchaser of last resort in some of some of these cases for for all of this debt and this monetary stimulus that 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 came uh, and, and fiscal support um is the, the the central bank independence a bit of a holy grail that is not maybe that achievable? Well, I see that you can show good results from letting central banks to have at least operational independence to, to, to achieve the, the, their goals. Um, what we experienced during the last couple of years was the easy part. Uh, you have the economy in contraction because of the, the COVID and the need to address that with a combination of expansionary fiscal and monetary policies. And to that extent, everything looks coordinated and, and okay. Now is the part in which you have to review the, 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 the fiscal uh, the fiscal expansions that, that you made during the last couple of years to allow the central banks to do the same, to, to, to adopt a tighter monetary policy. That's the tricky part. Are the governments, are the Latin American governments, are the governments in general in the world, that is not a problem only for Latin America, um, willing to, uh, to accept the, the need to make the, the necessary fiscal adjustment to uh, to consolidate public accounts and and make the the, the path of, of of fiscal policy sustainable in the long run 
or that will depend mostly on an expansionary monetary policy. If that comes to be the rule, not only for Latin America, but for the world, we will see much more instability in prices and inflation in the, in the future. So I think that that's the main political discussion that, that we will see in the next couple of years. How long, how, how tightened will be the monetary policy to address the inflation issue in the, in the developing world and also in the developed world? Uh, in contrast with governments, we are not really happy, happy with, uh, with the need to make a, a fiscal adjustment. And that, that is not only today a problem of Latin America, it's a problem for all the world. Yeah, it's funny how it has changed now, it has become now a, a global topic of discussion. It used to be only a problem that emerging markets had to face. Yeah. We, we Latinamericanize all the world in the <laughs> last five years. <laughs> Julio, I think we, we're going to have to stop here because uh, we're going to be running out of time. I uh, have to thank you so much for, for your time today. Um, and I want to, I want to remind that, um, if, uh, that you actually have your, your own podcast that, uh, uh, Becca advisors has a, a podcast on Spotify that, that you have for those of you that listen in Spanish, you can, you can search for him, um, on, uh, on Spotify and, um, and you will, you will get short episodes uh, about some of these topics as well. So Julio, thank you very much for, for your time today. Um, and we thank hope you, Joaquin, to, I'm happy to see you again. Great. Most my, my pleasure. Uh, and we'll stop here today. And as always, uh, you can send your questions um, to, to Moss or to anyone in, in the team by, by email at beyond at uh, fcam.com. Uh, and we look forward to listening to you at another episode. Thank you very much.